Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the holidays and are taking a little bit of time off. I have a very fun conversation in store for everybody. I have a successful entrepreneur, Rob Green, on the podcast. He's also the host of the podcast, I'm the One. Rob has successfully launched 17 brands online as well as sold multiple e-commerce companies. And Rob is going to be on the show explaining and sharing his journey of uh, leaving corporate America and corporate sales, getting into e-commerce back when it was fresh. And his journey, what I find fascinating is his journey, I think, does a very good job of reflecting the evolution of e-commerce as well, where a lot of times people started in product arbitrage, built out then white label brands, and then got into manufacturing. And Rob's going to explain how focusing on operational efficiencies, logistics, and building a real business is the name of the game. And I think this is more applicable than ever now that the free money is gone, the pandemic era is gone, and people need to build, build real companies So I'm watching manufacturing companies obviously get into the online space as well as online companies like Rob is talking about getting into the manufacturing and brand building. And Rob is going to dive deep into the the nuances of how he's done that. But what I also find fascinating is Rob and I get onto a whole conversation about what's the goal? Why are we doing this as entrepreneurs and how do we build the business and build the value and the cash from the lifestyle that satisfies the needs for us as an individual? So there's a lot of meat on this bone for this conversation. I know you're going to enjoy it. If there's one thing that you can do to prep yourself for next year for 2024 is go check out the Intentional Growth Starter Kit where you can dive into a few videos about what intentional growth is, a video on each of the five principles, as well as a case study where I project out the valuation of a company so you can start to see in your numbers. What should your forecast look like and how can you get where you want to go to get the income and the equity growth that satisfies your needs? So go check out the starter kit and the link is in the show notes below. Thanks everybody for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Rob Green. This episode is brought to you by Arcona's Fractional CFO Services. Arcona's Fractional CFOs integrate into your management team and assume the responsibility of the CFO. They become your strategic financial partner to help you run the business, create your value growth plan, and build the financial roadmap to the valuation you want to achieve. Rob, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Pleasure to be on here. I'm excited to talk about it. I think we have a lot of stuff in common to talk about today. <laughs> I know. Uh, the one thing we don't have in common is you're the smarter person that got the hell out of Minnesota <laughs> a lot sooner than I, I'm sitting here at single digit temperature and you're in Phoenix. So the yeah. listeners can judge on who's the smarter one of the two. But um, yeah, you grew up here in Minnesota. So let's take us back. Like, how did you how did you get into the online space? Like, you know, you said you went to college in Arizona and you stayed. So did what was the was it a uh, was it a kind of a winding road to entrepreneurship or did you kind of always think that you were going to, you know, somehow do something on your own? How'd you get into it? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm a little older than you. I'm 48. So back when I first, you know, online wasn't a, an option really when I was getting, getting out of high school, uh, it was just getting started. Right. I wasn't smart enough like Bezos to go to uh, sell books online and go to Seattle, but uh, I, I didn't know what I want to do, but I knew I didn't really like working for other people, but I still went the traditional route, went to college, undergrad, grad school, 
worked for a bunch of big companies and each one I hoped it was going to get better, but I found like most people do, there was just more bureaucratic, right? It never really mm-hmm. changed. It's just more bureaucracy. And then I found an opportunity where I, I started doing sales for a, a big medical company and, and uh, I had a customer that was just doing online dropshipping. And I oh, said, you know, wait a minute, wait a minute, you guys, where's your warehouse? Like, we don't have one. And I said, well, walk me through this. And, wa- and he's like, well, we just drop ship from here and here. We buy your products you guys manufacture through here and we drop ship it. And I was like, awesome. I'm your new rep. I'll help you out. Walk to the parking lot, call my buddy. I said, I'm starting a business today. You want to start this <laughs> together with me? And we went to grad school together. He didn't really believe it. We started. So it started back in 2010, uh, just kind of learning, you know, go ahead. Why, why, why was uh, the fact that they didn't have it a warehouse? Like, what led you to knowing that that was a big deal and that was an opportunity? Uh, I knew enough about logistics that I didn't want to do logistics, or, or at least at that time, I didn't want to do it. And so I, I, what they were effectively doing was just sales and marketing. I'm a sales guy. I love sales and marketing and it was numbers. It was finance. I don't have a tech background, but I'm like, you know what? I'll figure this out. It can't be that hard. Right. So I'd read uh four hour work week with uh, mm-hmm. Tim Ferriss, you know, like most of us have, uh, and that it really, I, I can outsource this stuff. So that was the trigger for me. I'm like, all right, this is a sales and marketing opportunity. I can solve this problem. Right. Let's figure this out. So dove in, tried to learn as much as I could, uh, you know, bought online courses, went through all that stuff and just started doing drop shipping. Uh, built out a site at a guy in like, you know, uh, I don't know if it was Pakistan at the time, I think, built out a site. It was like a WordPress site before Shopify and everything like that came out, right? It was actually called Volusion was the platform back then uh, before Shopify. And it was just, you know, I had a guy build a site and I taught, self-taught AdWords, learned how to do the marketing side of things, how to build the, you know, build out a site in the back end. By no means was it, I mean, it would be embarrassing for what it was today, you know, to today's out there. It's, you can make a website in about three, four minutes nowadays especially with, with I, I AI. Told you I sold but, copiers, dude. So like, is <laughs> <laughs> everything's relative. What, what, um, uh, when you, when you were doing, how did you like, so you, you got your college buddy that you said, um, you started yeah. with like, what was, what was the setup? Like, cause I always find it like, as we continue to go down this, uh, timeline, Rob is like, cause I've had multiple partners throughout my, my uh, entrepreneur journey. And like, what was the idea? Like, what was like the goal when you guys sat down? Was it like income? Was it like products sold? Was like, and how, how were you guys dividing and conquering duties and responsibilities and, or capital? Like, how'd you, how'd you seed the whole thing? Yeah, I didn't know much uh, back then, to be honest with you. I feel like it's always, I always feel like every six months I look back and go, man, I didn't know anything six months ago. So it's really hard to remember how little I knew 13 years ago, but the reality was a smart guy. We went to grad school, got our MBAs together too similar to be honest with you we had a lot of the similar but that's why we got mm-hmm. along so well so we weren't complementary business partners which is not what i would recommend to people it's better to have two people with different skill sets but we got along really well and so it was easy for us to do it and the goal at that time was how do we make additional money outside of this side hustle now called right oh, so you can, okay, our, it was side hustle got it yeah, our yeah. day job but make enough then so i can quit my day job i had a kid two kids at the time wife how do I how do I make enough to get rid of my day job and then pursue entrepreneurism uh, full speed ahead? That was the whole goal of what it was. That's how it all started, and it was you know burning the the midnight candle and uh, you know giving up sleep a little bit and doing the the side hustle stuff to try to figure it out because especially back then you know the amount of information available wasn't as readily available as it is today. But just mm-hmm. figuring it out, I I believe if somebody else has done it, uh, I'm a smart guy, I'm capable. If I figure out the right people and the right know how to do it, I'm going to figure it out. It, it just feels inevitable to me. 
What, what, what did you guys start drop shipping? Uh, medical supplies. Okay. So you guys st stuck in the industry that you guys yeah. were in. Would, did, did your employers know it at all? Uh, we don't talk about that a whole lot, Ryan. So we don't really mention that much, uh, but he was in the, he was in the space also. So, yeah. uh, uh, we he that was the advantage also is that he knew that a different part of the space so it was a really good combination to be able to do that and then um, I, you know we did that for a little while big realization easy realization was they're not our products we can't change mm. the product we're just selling somebody else's product so similar to copiers you weren't the manufacturer mm -hmm. I don't think right. of the copier right yep. so I can't make it. I can't change it or make it better. And, and eventually you're gonna get a race to the bottom where you're gonna get compressed because I'm I'm selling against the other guy who's selling the same widget. I'm just doing, it's just a marketing game at that point. So how do I create my own products? Uh, bought an online course, 2014, uh, learned about private labeling. Uh, I just, I went through the course, I booked a trip to China. And I'm like, I've never been to China. I'm going to this Canton Fair everybody talks about. It's 11, 12 million square feet. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna figure it out. I told a few friends. I ended up three friends came with and I was like, wait a minute. I'm not running a tour guys. I, I, I barely know anything here. I'm just going to, I'm going to Guangzhou. And, uh, they came with, we did it. Uh, they all started brands and, uh, one of them became my business partner later on. Uh, but that, that's really how I got into creating my own brands and creating my own products, which was immediately was way better. So got rid of getting, I got out of drop shipping, started creating brands, coming up with concepts, finding penetrability on online of what has demand, but maybe we can make a better product. And that's, that's really been the journey the last eight years is creating products and brands and then selling those online, Amazon, Walmart, Shopify. Now, TikTok shops has got a big focus mm -hmm. of us for us the last few weeks, you know, whatever the platform might be, we haven't done retail yet. We might do retail in the future. I've got a lot of friends that have done retail and been burned uh from a cash flow perspective and or not getting paid on the ar side so that that's something i think we'll learn as we go down this uh, path yeah. a little bit further so and i'd love to impact a lot of this because let's uh yep. let's give the listeners a little bit uh a deeper understanding so you, you've you've gone through 17 brands i believe it is so like what, what's like because you let's unpack because on this on the show rob i've had multiple facets of online e-commerce so mm -hmm. some people are you know doing the, the the stores some people then get into actually the the manufacturing and the white labeling and like i i've watched over the over the years where people start with you know they understand how to sell stuff on amazon or you know walmart or shopify and then they're like okay I then need to build out a you know white labeled brand and then I need to then maybe manufacture and then maybe I'm now in 3PL. <laughs> and so like there's kind of this natural kind of not natural breadcrumb trail. So like what where, what how did your journey unfold as far as like your realization of where yeah. you've ended up? The big advantage coming from drop shipping was I knew I didn't want to be just a reseller. I you know you, I didn't want to play the arbitrage game. Yeah. I didn't want to drop ship or wholesale anybody else's products. I knew day 1 I wanted to create my own brands, you know, I call it white labeling, private labeling, I would say a little bit more OEM, where we tried okay. to make a better product. So you know, whether that's a, a mold for a glass product, um, I had a few designs that I had come up with that I should have patented at the time, but I didn't know enough to do that. Um, but just, you know, how do I functionally make a better product? Right? How do I make a better product functionally, but knowing that the demand is there, that's the big advantage in the last 15 years. I think most businesses fail is because they someone comes with an idea, but they don't know if there's enough demand. Then they spend all this time and energy making a product, and they go, "Oh crap! No one else wanted to buy this product except me." Oh, and by the way, I realized 
it's going to be 50 bucks to make it, but I got to sell it for 40 because that's where the market dynamic is. Yeah. I can't make any money on this. And I, I mean, I've talked to so many people over the years. Oh, who yeah. are like, Amen. Oh, I'm working on this, you know, jelly for the last three years. And we source it here and we, this whole story. And I'm like, but you can't make money on it ever. There's just, the economics don't work. Yeah. But some, I was like, I can't help you. You know, like, does it almost sound, but, sound like an artist sometimes? Where it's yes. like, yeah, it's like, yes. look at this beautiful painting. No one wants it, even though it's beautiful. So like, yeah, uh, I, I love, I love how you started into it. And it, it makes a ton of sense with the context of starting in uh, medical sales where you're like, you're, you're understanding sales and marketing first. And so how did you start figuring out which products or services you want to go into? Mm. Yeah. So there were, there were some Chrome extensions. I think Jungle Scout was the first one back then, way back when. That allowed you to kind of look at, and, and, and I love the details, Ryan. I love that we're going to get into this because this, I, and just to warn you, I could talk about this stuff for like two days straight, probably. So uh, but, uh, but, uh, I want to pause you, Rob, too, because yeah, I, that's why I think a lot of people listen to this show is because the details mm -hmm. matter and it's none of the get rich yeah. quick crap. Like, essentially, I always say, like, I, I like to joke around, like, I like, to, I like to teach hard work, and, and then therefore, after you get to learn it, then you have to do hard work, and the reward is huge. So it's a lot of, I, I think. And I know you're, we're going to get into this after you unpack some of the details, but I think the last four years have just blinded people with how freaking easy it is. Free money and all this shit that was going on of the online space, I think, distorted what the practical viability of this stuff is. And which is why I think it's your story is so fascinating because you came from it from the dropship side, not from the arbitrage side. Arbitrage is just taking advantage of SEO and different optimization on a website, but you... I like to say it like this, Rob, because when I got exposed to this space like seven years ago, I got uh, uh, hired to do a keynote in the online space. And I came home and I was talking to my buddies. I mean, because again, I sold the copiers, right? Like it's real stuff. I had millions of dollars inventory. I'm like, these aren't even businesses. It's people <laughs> in basements with like freelancers. Yeah. And like, so like yeah. you started from what I'm gathering, started from the business side. Like there was a, a, something there that cash flowed. And you were building yep. a building a business, so yeah. Like walk us through, like how did you determine what products and services had a viable market opportunity? Well, I'll go back. I want to double click into what you said about like mm -hmm. these people not, and then the business side of. I had bought this online course, and it, with it came one an event, a live event. So I went to the event in Las Vegas, and in my head, I'm thinking it's going to be a bunch of people like you and I. That's it, before I go. I'm like, okay, it was like a thirty five hundred dollar course. Uh, it's still around. They just reiterated every every year. And I'm like, okay, it's going to be guys like you and I. And I'm like, okay, I got an MBA. I've got an online business that's successful. It's doing a couple million dollars a year in revenue. Um, I'm successful. I know what I'm doing. This is going to be awesome. You know, a bunch of great people. And I show up and there's people who have never sold anything online. They don't know how to create an email account. I go to a dinner with like 15 people. One guy goes, hey, listen, I shouldn't share my idea with you guys, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to sell clothing hangers. And, and I was like, what am I doing here? Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, he's like, yeah, but I don't want to go big. I'm going to order a 50 pack from China. And I was like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, this is crazy. And so I was just blown away at how it got, this is again, 2014, 2015, how many people got sucked into the mm -hmm. easy button they wanted to push to make money, right? I want to live on the beach and have an online business. And even, and even that was the beginning of it back then. Kind of reminds the me of like is, when the flipping of the houses and all that stuff in 2005 oh. and six and stuff. Yeah. And not that you can't do it and not that it won't be successful. I have a ton of friends that have been successful, but that group of people came from a huge number of people who didn't mm -hmm. either take action 
or didn't have any success after they take action, took action, and then they gave up, right? It's it's like it starts with this massive funnel, and I think mm-hmm. this is something most people should be, you know, especially first time entrepreneurs should be aware of is that what you see is survivorship bias. You see the people that have already won, right? I say all the time, I'm like, listen, some people are like, oh, I could have started Facebook. I'm like, no, you're not. You're not Mark. You're not Mark Zuckerberg. He's way smarter than you are. You don't see the other thousand guys who tried a social network who didn't work, right? And I think that's the same thing. It, it, it seemed it people misperceive it to be easier. I think than than it, yeah, the reality yeah. is. It's always yeah, yeah. a overnight success, ten years in the making. But back to your question about how to assess it, I use a Chrome extension to understand demand, which is where most people fail. Don't make a product that doesn't have demand. Without, if you don't have demand, you don't have to educate people, or you have to build the demand, which is far harder than already finding demand. So mm-hmm. I was able to assess demand. I didn't have a dog at the time. Uh, I created a dog product. So the first product I created was a dog booster seat for small dogs. <laughs> okay, I love this. Tell, tell me, tell me to pull the thread. I want to pull the thread. Okay, like, how did all you right. land on that? <laughs> I thought I was like, all right, I want to go with something that there's an inferior product in the in, in the in the market has good good margin and we can make an improvement. And I ordered the the dog booster seats on Amazon and most of them were like made out of cardboard. And so it would have a, a nylon and then it have cardboard in the side and, and a dog booster seat for everybody that's never bought one. Uh, it has a strap around the, the headrest of the front seat. It boosts your dog up. So your little dog under 20 pounds can look out the window and you could put it like a harness and like strap them in again, Ryan, I didn't own a dog. So, uh, but I love dogs. I had a dog as a kid. And I'm like, all right, I got the products from, from China. And I'm like, this thing's crap. You put like a 10 pound weight in it and it, it bends. Mm. So found a, found one that was nice, reverse engineered it. It was, had a metal frame that folded down mm-hmm. and we improved the fleece on the inside, improved the nylon on the outside. So it was waterproof, uh, found a supplier in Guangzhou, uh, went and visited when I visited them, when I went to my, to my first trip and I was like, all right, we're gonna do this. I think we sold 40 dog booster seats a day for five years before I sold the brand. I mean, it's every day, 40 a day. What was the price tag on those? 40 bucks. So um, I want to go back. So how did you, what was the market demand? So like, how did you find it was Mm. like Chrome extension where you found like, okay, because like, and yeah. were there other products that you were choosing between? So you, cause you're placing a bet is what you're doing. You're saying, okay, well there's this much demand. Yeah. And then, then, then you were able to pick out which one? So exactly. So there's a lot of factors in creating, determining where the demand is. I, I call it, for lack of a better word, penetrability. Mm-hmm. Can I penetrate this market and can I displace somebody else? Because there's a pie and that pie is either growing from a demand perspective or shrinking mm-hmm. depending on the product mm-hmm. and the category. But I still need to displace somebody to take a piece of that pie because it's mm-hmm. it's still digital real estate. There's only so many places. So and like you said, you don't want to create the demand. So like again, that goes back to create the pieces. demand. Yep. Yep. And so the idea was where can we position ourselves? We're going to be a premium product. And you know, we could have gone the $15 route, made a crappy product, but we want to make a premium product with enough margin to support the the environment and the the uh, advertising environment at the time. And so that was the thought process of going in and doing that. The other thing that I was fortunate enough to have enough money to just order a container. Like I didn't order a hundred. I ordered, I think it was 2000 units in a 20 foot container. So I ordered first order a full container. Uh, so that's about 20,000 bucks. I had no idea how freight forwarding worked or how to ship. I just ordered it. 
Like I didn't even know what those terms. I didn't know what FBO or ESW. I didn't know any, <laughs> yeah. any terms. Inco term. I didn't know what Inco terms were. I didn't know any of that stuff. And I was like, listen, place my order. I sent the PI, sent the money, and I was like, I now now I have to figure this stuff out, right? And so then I just started figuring it out. I met a guy at the the, the show, uh, the uh, event I went to. He'd been to China fifty times. He didn't understand sales and marketing. He and I went to China together, and he kind of helped me introduce that. I helped him do his listings. Help him understand how PPC worked, and then I ended up buying his brand actually like eight months later from him um, oh, because cool. he just wasn't his thing. Um, so that's how I got started in the space. And and by the way, I'd love to talk about some of the failures because I think that's where most people learn. the The ones that win are great, but the lessons from the failures or the ones that weren't great are mm-hmm. really the lessons I I keep today. Well, and. Uh- yeah, well, we can go right into that. But a couple of comments, though, Rob, which, again, I think sure. it's so fascinating. Like, and I, can, I don't know if it's, again, therapeutic for me because I'm watching, like, the convergence mm-hmm. of, like, reality of of actual businesses and, like, the business models of e-commerce and all that stuff start to finally converge. And a little bit of context, Rob, is m- my wife was a product uh, manager for a medical device. Then she went into oh. – that's how she, that's what she did right out of college. And then she went into um, uh, safety products. So she was the head product ma- uh, pro- product manager of like a pillar doing a, a I think twenty million or something like that. But it was like high visibility stuff, dude. Like the 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 vests and the knee pads yeah. and all this stuff. But it, that business started in making shit first. And I watched. So she was working with these brokers over in uh, Taiwan and China and South America. So she was doing everything from designing the stuff like you're talking about, working with them, ordering. Like she ordered. I don't know if it was her. One of her team members ordered like one of those like rolls of shit that's like the size of a car, and she didn't mean to. And so like you're talking, you're a business, right? And then, but what happened was why, why I'm going, why I'm telling the story is because they had a business. Then they flipped on the Amazon switch, dude. And I have no idea the revenue of this company, but I know it tripled and then they sold it and like because they had a business then they went online like you're talking about with good products so I, i'm saying that for the listeners benefit like it's it's so important what you're talking about of like it's a business and let's talk about the failures and but before we do you said you wanted to be a sales and marketing company and now you're buying crates and of stuff so like yeah, containers how, full. How, how did you reconcile that in your head of like did you reconcile it and say, okay, this is worth it now? Or like, how, how were you thinking about it? I think I was naive, to be honest with you. I mean, I, you know, I had some supply chain classes in college and in, in grad school, and I, okay. I really had zero respect for supply chain. And and two of my dear friends uh, both work to for large companies, you know, huge Fortune 50 companies doing supply chain, my high school girlfriend and uh, another friend of mine out in Seattle. And and I, I would call them and I'd be like, hey, listen, uh, this shit's hard. Like, I, I don't know what's, what's going on. They're like, they're like, listen, all the things you're talking about, how do I demand forecast? How do I make sure it goes through customs? Like all those things are like, listen, we have all the same problems you do just at a million times the scale. Like, yeah, welcome to supply chain. So it was a newfound respect uh, for supply chain that probably my naivete let me to, to, to lead down that path of doing stuff in a box, um, to be honest with you. But it was like, all right, listen, it was pure finance at the time for me. I'm like, all right, I can buy it for X. I can sell mm-hmm. it for Y. I can market here. Here's the Amazon fees. I can make this much per product. Okay. Mm-hmm. Math. It's, it's simple math at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I can make that work now. And I know we'll get into this. Those economics are not the same anymore. They are very, very different. So 
I don't think as nearly as many people are getting in now as that boom five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago. And everybody's always like, oh, I wish I got in then. Or I say that I wish I got in five years before. Everybody always says that. It's the same thing. Like, you it's, and I literally started a conversation with building websites, right? So yeah. like it's the same it's the same thing with any of these products and services. But and then it always ends up you have to build a good company. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Is it sustainable? Is this is it, and it's okay. There's nothing wrong with cash flow businesses. There's nothing wrong with arbitrage or drop shipping. As long as you understand what you're doing and that mm-hmm. this is a short term, who knows how long cash flow businesses business before you're going to be disrupted or taken out by somebody let's, else. Let's, let me, I want to unpack because I think you and I might have like how you're using cash flow, like how I would. So like one of the, the, the mantras I say is sustainable, predictable, transferable future cash flow. So if you go want to go from a million dollars in EBITDA to $2 million in normalized EBITDA, mm-hmm. create sustainable, predictable, transferable cash flow to increase your multiple. So that's what I think about cash flow. Are you, are you thinking more in terms of like a couple people in a basement, making a bunch of annual income that might not last and then you should turn it into something else or like what do you, what is your definition of cash flow how you're using it? so i'm a finance guy i'm playing a little loose and fast with the, the phrase cash flow here to be honest with you because i think it, it's it's traditionally it's actual cash flow in and out of the business right that's traditionally okay. what cash flow is but what i'm actually referring to is a a business that's not tremendously adding value right it's not okay. a definable value add that you're you're a rent seeker as economic term that people would call a rent seeker mm-hmm. and you're a middleman typically you're grabbing some piece of that funnel and mm-hmm. you're extracting the value out whether that's you know a distributor yep. um whether that is a, a broker whether that is a uh, a me too product creator and, and true technically trying label. to make the market more efficient until the market optimizes itself and you yeah. may not be needed right Yep. Yep. And that's what happens. And that's exactly what happens in all of those situations is the market will consistently optimize and people will go where there's opportunity and then mm-hmm. they will compete and then that will squeeze out the opportunity. It, mm-hmm. it just happens over and over again. It's, 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 it's very obvious once it's happened. And then I do think it's harder to fight that nowadays, especially with the influx of overseas sellers and the rate at which these businesses are being disrupted is unlike anything I've ever seen. It's so fast now. Right. And well, let, let's let's pull that thread. And I don't know if that's tied to then your your, your failure, because you said you want to talk sure. about failures, too, because I don't know if those are kind of combined together. So when you say that the, is the disruption part of the failure, like wh- what are some of the lessons learned as you're talking about building these brands, building them in a way that we're talking about? Like what are the, some of the, the hard lessons that you, like you said, you're calling yeah. your supply chain friends from school. <laughs> so yeah. obviously that was one yeah. of them. Yeah, I think that was another one lesson. I, I'd say so. Here, here's my current take on this, and this is like as of the last couple months. I'll give you a, a live example. We sell a, a sushi making kit. Okay. So you want to make sushi at home with your wife in the kitchen. We launched it two years ago, two Christmases ago, and I said, "All right, we'll make a better kit, a better product, a better knife. Um, we'll put in better quality chopsticks. We'll, it's a sushi bazooka." It's like a this long, you make a roll with it. Love we'll make it. a better yeah. product, right? Nice packaging. It'll it'll look great, right? That product two Christmases ago when we launched on Amazon, we were selling it for $40, okay? On Amazon, doing well, all right? Yesterday, Cyber Monday, $17. Whoa. And this is not an aberration. This is what's happened over the last couple of years where 
you've got difference of needs or, or wants from a margin perspective, especially when you have overseas sellers who maybe they're the manufacturer, they're vertically integrated, they're not a rent mm-hmm. seeker in that case, and yep, they're yep. they're actually uh, producing the product, and they're used to making 10% margin. Well, now yeah, if they the sell their business own business model is based on some margin like that, or they might be making margin somewhere else. That's where I think, yeah, also, like, I'm curious like how much you find this as part of the, the game that's being played. Is I, I'm always trying to help people think through, like, you got to figure out where people's optimal margin is. So like, for example, Rob, when I built out the managed IT service, I'm like, we can, we're making 50% margin on copier maintenance. So we can, I, I try to focus on profit per customer, not profit per product line. So my, my point is that like everybody might be playing different games. So you, like yes. someone at 17 bucks can like totally make it. Cause I think a lot of people go, well, how do they do that? And it's like, well, they might be playing a different game. Completely agree with you. A lot of people don't know this part about it, but Chinese factories get reimbursed by the federal government in China based upon their export volume. So there's actually a table depending on the product and the material that's made. And then they're playing a volume game. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, the more I export, the more money I get back from the Chinese government at the end of the year. Uh, Last time I checked, I just pay tariffs. (laughs) I I don't get a rebate from the government at all. (laughs) I just pay out money to bring product in. Right. I pay taxes in the U.S. and overseas. uh, They don't pay taxes in the U.S. Right. So the game that you're playing, you need to understand the rules, which I think you're completely correct about. You need to understand the rules. Are we even playing the same game is the first question. If we Mm -hmm. are playing the same game, then what advantages do you have? What advantages do I have? And then are my advantages enough to sustain my competitive advantage? Or is it a game where, you know, uh, the overseas sellers are getting better? They're mm-hmm. better at branding now. They're better at, uh, you know, communication now. So they've closed some of that gap. Definitely not all of it, but they've committed. So what is defensible now is really my question. How do I well, think okay. about what is defensible? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And so you're, traditionally your paths for defensibility have been brand and intellectual property, right? IP, you're utilizing the legal framework to protect, right? Your mm-hmm. intellectual property. Brand. Great example. I'm wearing it right now. Mm-hmm. Apple Watch. I bought the Apple Watch Ultra 2 the other day, right? Lifestyle brand. Uh, I like kayaks. I'm not going to buy the plastic kayak from China because it's just that yep. versus someone that I can get the boot, the cool or whatever it might be. Yep. Yep. I mean, Apple's the best example of brand. We overpay. I'm an Apple guy. I, I, one of my iPhones broke down one time and I went in and they're like, well, well, we'll have to send it in and get it to you. I said, no, no, let me explain this to you. I'm not an iPhone customer, an Apple customer. What does that mean is I own 10 MacBooks. Apple TV, iPhones, iPads, I've got the entire ecosystem. So I need you to go get me another phone and just swap it out for this right now because I'm walking out of here with a brand new phone. And the guy was like, yeah, fair enough. That's that's good. When, well, they they asked, when I, when I sent in my app, app, my Mac for the Mac, because uh, I, I I broke it. They're like, well, it'll take 10 days. I'm like, that's worse than taking my car away. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, but they're a brand. Like, I, I'm yeah, part yeah, of that like, ecosystem. I, I like, overpay for a product that I could buy for cheaper somewhere else because of the brand. And I know that it works in the interoperability that they've built from an ecosystem perspective, right? They're the, they're the pinnacle, right? Mm-hmm. Not 99.999, you know, no one's starting another Apple right now, right? It's very, very, very difficult. Sonos is another brand that I love. I have, I have a Sonos ecosystem at my house. All my speakers are Sonos. Once you're into the ecosystem, I just buy Sonos speakers. I add it on for a room or get the new upgrade, right? So they've sold, they built brands and ecosystems, which are really, really difficult to get out. Now, most of us are not going to do that. Most of us are going to try to create a brand that 
and, and let me be clear on this. Like you, you were great about cash flow. What is a brand? And a brand to me is a concept or an idea or an emotion that lives in somebody's head. And so what I mean by that is I say, Apple, you have an emotional, visceral feeling or a thought about Apple, right? It is extremely difficult. It's, it's more, probably more art than science. I definitely don't have the, the, the the key to that or the blueprint to that. I mean, I'm trying to revise and make, uh, do a better job with that. Right. Uh, But those are the two things in my opinion that are the most defensible in today's world of products, of selling products, either in person or online. Which goes right into the intentional growth philosophy of building sustainable, predictable, transferable cash flow. Because you're just trying to build that moat around your future cash flows. And if you're a rent seeker, like you're talking about, or it's a flash in the frying pan, really what it is what it is, then the multiples go up. You can keep it. I mean, you can keep the cash flow and the equity growth, or you can sell it whenever you want. Like you have choices instead of like this panic of like it could go away tomorrow. And you know, and I don't want to sideline us too much, and I can, we can come back to the uh, the, the technical operational stuff too in the, some of your lessons learned. But I think about the that's what I've been watching, and I, and I and is the flash in the frying pan of the the e commerce demand t- exa- exacerbated by COVID, free money from home, all of this stuff just went, and it was like, okay, well, how much of this is sustainable over time? I never once told people it didn't it didn't. Um, I mean, of course, it's, it makes sense. Like, capitalize on the opportunity, but like, what is your expectations from that opportunity? Is and like, what, let's talk before maybe talking about the current state, which I you think you and I've got some comments that we want to talk about. But like, what have you seen from your brands that you've bought and sold, and where you're at right now? Kind of give the listeners and us like a little bit of understanding. Like, you know, you've sold some. How how were they valued? Like, because so, at the end of the day, it's it's like we reverse engineer what is valued in the marketplace from a cash flow or a brand perspective. So. What did you learn through exiting for th- some of these? And maybe that can kind of put the container of what you learned. And then we can talk about how the landscape has potentially changed a little bit. Yeah. So I, I'm a sales, again, sales guy. I love negotiating. I love selling stuff. I've helped a ton of friends sell their brands. I've sold three. Uh, one of them was just a dog booster seat back in the 2019, 2020-ish. It was just that one product for that little brand, we'll call it, right? So the small fitness brand, uh, and then I sold another one. Um, so an idea to give some range there. You're talking a couple hundred thousand, uh, mid six figures, mid seven figures. And so I've sold you know, a couple different, uh, a small vector there. Tears, different tears changes at range. Yep. 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 And so it sold the different buyers. Um, different, what you know, different, two of them were the different times. Was it like acquisition entrepreneur, like Walker Dybul kind of something, or was it like another company, strategic buyer? Who are the different buyers? Two of them were former corporate guys who had made some money and wanted to, you know, do their own thing. And they wanted, didn't want to start from scratch and thought they would buy something that was sustainable and they could just run it without paying attention or learning like an SBA loan or their 401k. No, or it was cash. They- okay. I think it was cash. I think they were all cash, but then I sold an aggregator also in 21, um, which we've already talked about a little bit on the pre-call is, is a, how do you know that's a whole different model there. But the idea was how do you balance like you always want to sell before it's too late. Everybody does, right? And so how do you know it's going to continue? Because as entrepreneurs, we're always optimistic. But we know the line doesn't always go up and to the right. So 
can you decide on when is the right time to sell? It's, it's a personal decision and what's the goal if you want to do. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, if you have a cash flowing asset, a profitable cash flowing asset, you have an asset that's saleable, right? Mm-hmm. To somebody, somebody will buy it from you mm-hmm. at what multiple. And then we could dive into that. You know, how do I get the maximum multiple out of a business? What's most important to the buyer of that business? And that does depend on the buyer, obviously. Pardon the interruption, I hope you're enjoying the conversation with Rob. And one thing that resonated with me as Rob was walking me through his journey is all of the decisions that he had to make between getting into manufacturing, what kind of products to lean into, how to scale certain products or buy a certain company or whether he should sell, whether he should take distributions out or reinvest for growth. All of those are decisions that I'm having to constantly deal with at Arcona and a lot of our clients are dealing with and it takes data and it takes a plan. And if you're wondering what your information could look like if you had that plan, that roadmap, all you have to do is schedule a short discovery call with me and my team. The show notes have a link in it below. And what my team at Arcona does is offer a complimentary financial assessment where we plug in our financial dashboard to your accounting package. And then we come back after my team analyzes it with their thoughts and observations to see whether you can actually build out that financial roadmap to your target equity valuation so you can get the data so you can actually answer the questions that you probably have of should I take that distribution how does that impact the growth of the company what product lines should I invest more in to get where I want to go faster that all takes information and data but that information and data has to be reconciled against a plan to your target equity valuation point b so check out the show notes where you got a discovery call with me all in the spirit of trying to figure out if there's a, an opportunity for the financial assessment and an opportunity to work together. Thanks everybody for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the rest of the interview with Rob. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I'll put a container yeah. in it, um, for what we what I teach in the Intentional Growth Academy where there's a difference between the intrinsic financial value of the future cash flows. Essentially, to get really geek is the net present value of your future cash flows based on the risk, the company specific risk specifically, but like yep. call it the future cash flow as an asset, just like you would like a piece of real estate compared to, I, I compare that to the strategic transaction value, Rob, which in my definition of that is where the buyer and the seller come together in the, and it's wrapped in the purpose of the deal. The strategic buyers buying, you know, talent or supply chain or IP, which could decouple it from the cash flow valuation, but potentially could would come with ramifications of how the company's is integrated, you know, redundancies. Like when I sold, uh, we, we had to get the company because of that. So like there, my, my, my philosophy is build the cash flow valuation, hit your financial targets and then create as many options. So you, when you negotiate to terms, you can get exactly what you want. So when you think about your multiples, the kind of within that container of like, there's the financial multiple, and then there's the, someone needs my company or wants it for a specific reason. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. And that that goes back to way before you want to sell, you should understand who you're going to sell to because mm-hmm. you need to build it out from the intangible piece of what you want that to be like. So that makes it easier. for It's positioning, right? It's it, To yeah. me, it's positioning. Right? For everybody, everybody that hasn't done it, I'm thinking about that now earlier and earlier and earlier. How do I position it? And maybe if you're, if you're really smart, I have a friend who sold one for uh, a lot. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars last year. So to a private, uh, a publicly traded company, he knew who he wanted to sell to. And so he went, did a, a full process for an iBanker and, and went through the process, but he had a, some strategic options in mind of who he wanted to sell to. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that is really the key is, is knowing who you want to sell to and then making it so it's an easy yes for them. 
and how do you position it so it's as easy as possible for them? Because mm-hmm. that's really the key. Because that's going to give you the best multiple you can. Is how do you make it easy for them? Because again, if you're selling What's to your a definition big company, of easy. Well, if you sell it to a big company, it's not their money. It's the guy who works the big company who's making the decision to buy the business, right? So how do I make it easy for that guy or girl or woman to go ahead and sell that internally on mm-hmm. why they need it? Are they buying it to save their job? Are they buying it to add on because of strategic <laughs> advantage to get a bonus? I don't know, right? But if you, the more information you can get around what their motive is, you can understand a little bit more on how to position it and how to mm-hmm. then package it. I guess I'd call it packaging the deal in the business. And the earlier you know that, I think the better chance you have of selling the business. Do you know Ted Schluter from The Grist? No. Oh God, I got to introduce you to him because uh, I think you guys, he's he's got a marketing agency where he wrote okay. a book called Branding for Buyout. Rob, you got to have him on your podcast. Um, oh, okay. Perfect. Yeah, Branding for Branding Buyout. For bio. Where yeah, and he's like one... I, for any marketers in there, I apologize, but like he's one of the uh, mark only marketers I know that he understands finance evaluations. Where he wrote a book, branding for buyout, specific. And I we did a podcast series, Rob. Uh, and I'll, for the listeners, I'll put the uh, links in the show notes. But the branding for buyout is we got a cash flow valuation, but let's wrap it together with everything you just said. And they actually will like send direct targeted ads to the potential buyers, and like and then build up all this noise. And so. Uh, with your with your different buyers, what were some of the reasons they wanted to buy your guys uh, buy the companies and the brands from you? You know, we had a couple of guys that just wanted. To, I, th- I think they were sold on the easy button and wanted to buy something and just operated. And and I I do think there's you know the Walker Diable approach of I do think it's really hard to go from zero to one. I think going if you know what you're doing in a space you understand, one to two is easier than zero to one. Now, Amen. a lot of people that have bought businesses in e-commerce space in the last few years don't really know the business. And, and, and I've been advising a, a startup um, in Seattle the last couple of years. And the primary founder, two, uh, two founders, the, the primary founder has had massive billion dollar exits in fintech. And he did that with knowledge and context. And one thing I've really learned of, of this advising the last couple of years is a lot of the people that they brought in are really smart people, like top you know, data scientists, MIT, Harvard, mm-hmm. you know, bring all those guys in. No context. I would be the only one being like, hey, has anyone else ever sold a product on Amazon or, or launched a product on Amazon? Does anyone in this room know anything about what we're talking about? And no, the answer was no. And I think that I I didn't, it's kind of like the supply chain conversation we had earlier. I didn't yeah, really yeah. understand the value of context until I've had this experience of seeing really wicked smart people who sometimes draw the wrong conclusion because they don't understand all of the pieces behind it. Mm-hmm. that would lead to a different outcome and a, a different decision. So well said, man. Uh, like, and I was, I was, uh, uh, I'm not big on social media at all. And I'm trying to fix that with the, promoting the podcast and everything we're doing. But I, I was uh, scrolling on X and I, you know, I, like my feed tends to be full of a lot of acquisition entrepreneurs, people raising money, all this kind of stuff. And I, I mean, from coming and turning around a business from losing a million bucks and like doing all that hard shit, like I was talking to you about in the pre-call is like, I'm watching these people buy these companies with debt and everything like that. This is different than buying a piece of real estate. <laughs> like, and, and like, and this guy had this, uh, he said being fully transparent. And I just read his I props to this guy that wrote out like what he did over the last four years, Rob. 
And he's now going through personal bankruptcy because he bought two companies, bought a third company, and then he was scaling a digital agency along with a couple of e-commerce brands. And then supply chain issues, demand issues, margin compression. And now he's literally sitting there trying to figure out how to, you know, you get personal guarantees all over the place and he owes 2 million bucks. And I'm sitting there going, I wanted to throw up in my mouth for him. And it's, but it's the context and the experience that you're talking about. Ryan, we have a policy against personal guarantees, by the way. Yeah, don't That's do them. No, yeah. never. We have a po- no. We have a policy against it. As soon as you tell somebody you have a policy against anything, they just go, "Oh, okay." Well, that means you can't do it, especially corporate people. So we still we have a policy against it. That's it. That's the end of the conversation. We don't do them. I'm not doing a personal guarantee ever. I could never see any world where I'm doing a personal guarantee. But I, I think that a lot of the guys, you know, the aggregator space, they came in right and they bought a lot of their finance guys and they bought a lot of these businesses, these econ businesses, and tried to roll them up with. The, this is not a new strategy. The roll-up strategy has been around forever, and typically you get economies of scale. You're like, oh, each of these pers- each of these companies has an accounting department. Each of these account they have an HR department. Well, we're going to have one. It's going to be shared services, and that's how it always works. Well, the problem or the challenge with this in e-commerce is these businesses don't have size to have an accounting department or an HR department. It's one guy with maybe contract workers, maybe a small team max that is doing all this. So they're already running unbelievably lean. And Mm -hmm. so now you're not gathering those economies of scale. And especially I'll talk about Amazon, selling a a supplement on Amazon is Mm -hmm. vastly different than selling a sushi making kit. I can imagine some of the differences, but what are you you thinking when you say that? Uh, the, The way that you merchandise the product online on Amazon, the way that the certifications that you have to get for the product category, right? To how do you participate and stay, you know, uh, clear of Amazon and any of the unwritten rules they have, right? So you don't, you also don't get, unless you stay in the same category or subcategory, you also don't get the economies of scale of lessons learned because they mm-hmm. don't directly apply to other categories. Cause, and I, we, I sell in multiple categories today and there's always <laughs> new things that kind of pop up. I, I'm sorry I'm laughing, Rob, because like it's just so damn refreshing talking to you about this stuff because <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it was like like it was my journey of like I just kept looking over the last decade. I'm like, uh, like because you're talking about different industries and different businesses. Like you're either a manufacturer of sushi product kicks or you're actually in the health supplement business. And it just so happens to be you're selling through e-commerce. You know what I mean? Like that's yep. what I always and I kept going, like, what am I missing here? That like and it's and I say that from like my past years ago, but like to your point, how many times over the last eight years I've been doing this podcast, people are like, "I'm going to do a roll up in insert industry vet clinics, semi, or, uh, cremation, or like pets," or and I'm like, I know from turning around my own business where we controlled everything that firing and replacing sixty percent of the employees is a son of a bitch, man. <laughs> Like, cause it's people and they got to insert into the culture. And I remember when I hired our director of it and she was a toxic cancerous, like, and she destroyed so much in 90 days. And I'm like, you can't just bolt all these things on back to your point. It's not this straight 40 to five degree angle up of normalized EBITDA and multiple accretion. (laughs) It's so so refreshing hearing it all, man. Well, and I I don't recommend, I think, 
if I were to go back and do it over again, which I try not to think about too often because, you know, we can't do it. I can't push the reset button. I, I think I would have narrowed my focus. I mean, that's that's what we talk about here all the time. I would have been better off creating one great brand or maybe two great brands in the same exact subcategory or category. If like I were to read something like financial, that, like different, yeah, like, pick a category that hopefully you care about or are passionate about, but that you're going to go all in on. And build in that category. I mean, I think some of the aggregators have that have done that have done better from what I've heard than other aggregators that didn't do that, right? Because it just makes, makes sense. sense. You've got yeah, it just makes you've sense. got a, a creative knowledge that mm-hmm. is growing, and and you take it to retail, same conversation. You do it on Amazon, same conversation. Whatever it is, there's a creative knowledge that you're gaining in that in that specific mm-hmm. vertical, mm-hmm. trade shows, whatever it might be, you're in one vertical. It's just too hard to be everywhere all the time. So yeah. I don't think what I did is 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 the optimal path by any means. That's just my, uh, the flaw of being an overly optimistic entrepreneur. I think of wanting to do, journey, like, do and, everything. And, and, yeah. And it's part of the journey. And like you said, it's part of the context and the experience of understanding how you got to where you are. I mean, like, you wouldn't have done it if you weren't naive. And same thing with me, man. Like right. I, I read Walker's book and he's a friend of mine. And like, I mean, I started Arcona and this is the second try. And I'm like, okay, well, in this first page is never start a business. Instead, I'm like, well, too late for that. <laughs> and so like, you know, it, it, it's part of the journey, but I think, and I, I like how you said it's the survivor bias. Like there, like, and I, I just want the listeners to be aware. Like I'm not like, we're not saying, I'm not saying that this is not possible, but like when people succeed, I just want people to know that it's hard freaking work to get there. Yeah. And so when you, uh, what do you, what's the setup right now? And the, like the couple of questions I had, cause you had said in the, um, in the pre-call or it was, it was your cut sheet of, you know, your th- the three things that you you care about is building wealth relationships and well-being. So like, yeah, I'm assuming it was not easy to come to that conclusion that those are three things that are super important. Like how, how wh- what is it and how are you optimizing your life and your business to solve for those things? Great question. A, cu- a couple of thoughts on this. So I'm not a woo woo guy. I'm a logical, rational, analytical guy, uh, but talked to a coach a couple of years ago, a friend recommended, my wife talked to her. We did a, a vision board. It sounds crazy even saying this because we did it a couple of years ago. We, we, uh, we're in Phoenix, so we leave for the summer. And that summer we were in Hawaii for the summer. And so we're in Hawaii. The coach, Lana, who I love to death, she uh, does a, a vision board exercise over Zoom with my wife and I. And and for those of you that don't have never done, I have it, a something like, called the intentional growth vision board. By the way, oh okay, all right. Well, like, <laughs> yes. was, again, this, <laughs> maybe some more mechanical like, stuff. It's not all. Woo-woo, I, but I like I like the woo woo with with numbers. <laughs> yeah, this is a little more like she had mailed us pictures, and cut out some magazines. We walked around the room. Okay, no, yeah, that, that's not what I'm talking. about. I love it. I love it. I love it. But but we came up with a vision board, which is basically like, what do you want your life to look like, mm-hmm. and design it right. Uh, probably had too many attractive women on there for my wife's taste. So I was like, <laughs> it is funny because I actually had a few attractive women and, and, uh, Lana said, is there anything you didn't put on here that you wanted to, like you hesitated or caught? I said, like, yeah, uh, actually there are more attractive women, but I, in my head, it clicked like, oh, my, I've already got a couple. I probably shouldn't have any more on there. Right. Uh, but I didn't have, uh, I had, like one car, uh, one boat. What was like, the, I well, have, I, like, I gotta, I'm sorry. I can't keep going. What was, what was the attractive women doing on there when you're doing this with your wife? Like, what is the. Funny enough, the one, the two that I put on there were both having fun and they were like playful. Okay. So we came away with the vision board experience of uh, a statement of intention. And so I came up with mine right away. Bam. Like uh, during the meeting. And my statement of intention is I choose a life of growth and learning 
through playfulness that is successful. So that is my driver at all times. If it's not growth and learning and not fun and doesn't lead to success, I don't do it. What's it the definition matter. of success? That's the hardest one. And that's why successful is last, right? And so mm. when I think about success, I, I'd say it then as of the last couple of years, you talk about the journey. I use a framework I got from a friend of mine. Uh, it's health, wealth, relationships. Can I be an A in all three categories all the time? Because mm. you and I have met a lot of people that sacrifice in one or two of the categories to be wealthy, right? And at some point of monetary wealth, uh, the marginal return goes down. Mm-hmm. And I'm not interested in chasing every last dollar to forego my relationships with my daughters or to forego my health to make a couple extra dollars. So how do I balance? And I hate that word, but how do I balance so that I'm an A in each of those three categories? That's how my guiding principles are. Like I wouldn't do I the podcast it. if it wasn't fun. I wouldn't run the business if it's not fun. I'm not going to go do some terrible business or buy a terrible business that I hate every day just to make more money. That's not my purpose. Now, it might have been when I was 22 and I had zero dollars and nothing in the bank, and I, you know, had nothing to do. I, I, I would, I did, I, I, you know, grinded a lot more back then than I would now. But I think those are the two things that drive me to making decisions on whether I want to do something or not do something. So you're going right where I wanted to go next, which is how is this this framework of this how is it impacting your decisions mm. and actually so like how would you decide like so an opportunity presents to you and how do you assess that opportunity and what it means to you so i think we all once you've had some level of success i think you get too many opportunities right you go for i believe i don't know who said this originally but you say yes until you can afford to say no right say yes mm. to everything until you can afford to say no and then you get to a level and you're like oh my mm-hmm. god I, mean, I got I got new ideas every day. That's not going to help us lead us forward. So I have to kind of rein myself in or have somebody on the team try to rein me in, like come back in the weekend. They're like, oh God, how many new ideas did you have over the weekend? Right? So we try to say no to those. And I, I use that guide. Am I going to get growth and learning? Is this going to be a value of a skill that's going to stack for me over time and compound? If it's not, I'm not going to do it. And you, then the second thing is, so yeah, keep going. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead, please. No. Well, is that, like, so how do you balance the time money equation? Because I'm, I'm tracking everything you're saying. And one of the things in principle number two of the intentional growth principles is I talk about the three financial targets, Rob, of what's your target annual income? How does your outside net worth impact everything? And then the target equity valuation of the company. Because then it's like the whole pie chart of, and I, I believe it's like plus or minus a few, per, a handful percent of $5 million. With 250 grand in cash flow. And if your business intrinsic value is plugging the hole and you've got this, then like, what the hell are you trying to strive for? Right. Cause yeah, like at I, some point it's just, you're going to, you're going to be disappearing your money and your relationships. So how are you balancing that time money of like over committing your time for money? Like how does that make, does the question make sense? It does. So, so I am in a uh, strategic coach with Dan Sullivan. I've been mm-hmm. in it for like four it. years. And so uh, how I think about it is unique ability, which is a concept of what are you world-class at? So I think about unique abilities a lot. And the goal is to not spend any time. The goal, which is always something I'm striving for. I don't know if it's an, it's not probably an end point we'll ever get to. But if it's not in my unique abilities, I don't want to be doing it. Yep. If it's not something that I'm really great at and I'm passionate about, I don't want to be doing it. That doesn't mean there aren't things that I still do 
that don't meet those criteria, but I try to constantly eliminate those things. So you're like doing like three days, days, buffer days and performance days then too? Boy, I'm trying. I'm trying. I've been in this four years. <laughs> Amen, I, brother. I struggle with it. I struggle. It's, it's a, the struggle is real, right? And, and for yeah. me, for me, the challenge is, is partly because I love what I do. Like, I want to do more work. I like it. So for me, it's like, okay, I want to go dig in. I want, oh, I can solve a problem. I really love solving problems. So a real life example is TikTok shops. Just started in, in, in the US in September. I just started looking to it three weeks ago. I've done, I've gone off the deep end into TikTok shops in the last three weeks, man. I'm like, I, I'm having phone calls with guys in China who used to work at ByteDance and they got a software. I mean, I'm, I'm in, like, I just dive in and like, how do I learn how this works? How do I learn how everything works here? And how do I, I got a little mastermind I put together with my friends who are learning also, so we can all learn together. Like, I'm going to go into this because it's the best opportunity I've seen in a decade. So it's like, how do we dig into this and learn more of it? But for me, that's fun. That's not like, not like work. Like I it's enjoy almost like it. the performance just, day as Dan puts it, right? Like it's, you yeah. enjoy it so much that so you do it even if you weren't getting paid kind of thing. Yep, exactly. And it's fun. It's fun to yeah. do, right? But I, I, I try to balance it with, when my kids are in school is the primary focus. When my kids are in school, they're not available. My wife is also works in the business part-time, but how do I balance that? And then the number one thing for me is I want to make sure that the time with the kids, they're going to be 18 soon. That goes by really fast. I know you've got two young daughters. I mean, it goes by, it goes by fast. Uh, it goes by really, really quick. So how do you optimize those times? So like we're gone for the summer together, two months as a family. We travel on fall break. We travel on spring break. I say we should travel on Christmas every year, but somehow we don't always travel on Christmas. We and kids want to be home for Christmas. Uh, but that those times are really valuable. So, you know, two and a half months to out of the year, we're with our family, we're traveling, work is minimal. I use forcing functions to keep it very, very little. Like we were in the summer, last summer, we we're in Hawaii for two months. I took calls and meetings between 7 a.m. and 10, p 10 a.m. That's it. That's the only time I was available. Then we go to the gym together as a family. We all work out together as a family, have a healthy lunch, and then we go do fun stuff, right? Oh, so awesome, it comes man. back to like, you've already touched on this a little bit, but what do you want your life to look like? And then how do I design it where the business supports my life, not I support my business? And so Amen. that's what I'm constantly thinking about trying to improve. How do we get better at that? Is there somebody we need to add to the team? Is there some tweak in the business, the way that we're doing it? Is there a different opportunity we need to focus on? I, I think it's an evolving, I mean, journey is the right word. I think it's, it's never a straight line and it's always evolving over time. Yeah. And I, I don't, and I'd like, cause I've read all, uh, um, all of Dan Sullivan's books and Ben Hardy's books this last summer too. And 10 X using the two X gap in the gain, who not how. Yep. And like, I, they just, again, they, they, they complement a lot of the frameworks that I've been working on. And like, it's just thinking through all this stuff is it, it you have to think about it. Otherwise you're going to be spread and ripped apart. What, what's the, what's the current setup of your business right now? How, like, and what do you want with them? Like, do you have, do you still, you still got the sushi business? What, like, and what do you, well, you, you got a couple so of brands or like. One structural, um, uh, change that I made a few years ago, I, I was doing a lot of this by myself back in the day. I was wearing a lot of hats. I'd have a partner here, or partner there. And, and I was like, I got to build a team. It's the only way I can get leverage. Right. So one thing I learned from a friend, Steve, uh, is that everything is at the center. So all the employees work for one company. Mm -hmm. And then any of the brands pay that one company to manage it, almost mm -hmm. like an agency. The mm -hmm. difference is I own all the brands. So mm -hmm. we don't, we're not an agency for any outside businesses. You have the, so you have the back office shared function, almost like a PE firm would just to your different brands. 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like so what, you have like a, yeah, you have yep. like a shared services agreement, you know, with the different, uh, different yep. companies. Love it. So that allows me to peel off if I want to. So I love the book built to sell, read that a few mm-hmm. years ago. And so we have the ability to, if I want to say, if I said, if I say to a brand, you know what, this is something I don't want anymore. I could peel it off. If I want to mm-hmm. buy a brand and bring it in, I could bring it in and, and try to figure out the shared services to that. So that's the model that we've built out. I will say that I, I currently believe that the, the, the private labeling and white labeling model is very, very difficult. And if somebody doesn't have significant expertise, I wouldn't recommend somebody go into it today. It's mm-hmm. too difficult unless you have some type of IP or brand or sourcing opportunity maybe that everybody else doesn't already have. If you're yeah. going to go to China and get a widget and do a garlic press, I mean, good luck. Yeah, it's, it, I, mean, well, I, I think um, – so Gina Wickman's book, uh, The Entrepreneur Elite, yeah. by, uh, my dear friend Rob Dubay is his business partner on the 10 disciplines. Um, and so the the Entrepreneur Elite, and I think Rob's not doing that podcast actually, um, but they're, they're talking about like if a, if someone's going to jump a leap in to entrepreneurship, what are you good at? And then like mm-hmm. how are like your skill sets and all – you? it's all what you've been talking about, Rob, of the context, the experience, because it's going to be hard, so you might as well love it. And it's gonna be, and if you do the hard work, then you can build a cash flowing business that's sustainable over time. And that's like the, and I think you can then design it around you. Cause I like, I think about, man, like, I mean, I, right before we jumped on, I interviewed, uh, the ITR economics. I don't know if you're familiar with those guys. Um, they're big no. vistage, but they talk about the great 30 or uh, great depression, 2030. It's just this whole demographic wave. And it's like, the reality is like boring businesses are great, man. Like I'll tell you what, we have a bunch of home services clients and like, they print money and like commercial cleaning or, you know, landscaping or exterior. It's like, it doesn't need to be e-commerce or code and software. Like, I, you know, if you, if it designs the life around you and the, for the financial life equation, like you were talking about, it's like, I think it, what I'm trying to help promote is it could be different for every person. You know, we don't have to go and just beat our, beat our chest for revenue. And and that's how we think about acquisitions too. Just to be clear, we've been doing outreach for the past four or five months to businesses, online businesses that we feel have a gap that we can solve, mm. right? So that could be paid advertising. That could be um, organically ranking on Amazon. It could be you know, maybe maybe it's a supply chain gap, but it's an obvious gap that we can find and we can improve in the next thirty days. Not cool that we wouldn't rebrand or do something else that takes longer. Right. But what can we do in the next, in the first 30 days to get an impact? So that's what we're doing outreach on and trying to find, and that's difficult. I mean, that's a numbers game. That's mm-hmm. sending out, you know, outreach, getting on calls, talking yeah, to people, hard work. right mindset. <laughs> it's hard work. It's not I easy. You're going to find, it. you know, we're going to talk to, we're going to talk to 200 people before you buy the first one or hundred people before you buy the first yeah. one. It's going to happen. Uh, but that's the model I think about is what are we great at? Can we find somebody that's, not great at something. And then by acquiring this, we have an accretive increase in the value immediately. I, I, I love boring businesses, but I'm not the guy to go run necessarily a boring business. I don't think I don't see myself running a machine shop. Somebody else who has that expertise operational or hands on for sure. Go, don't go do e-commerce. That's silly. Well, that's, that's why I didn't get into it. I mean, like literally in 2017, I was the keynote for Rhodium. Uh, weekend with Chris Yates. And uh, that's where I met Mark Dowse and Joe Valley. And I'm like watching all these people make money. And honestly, Rob, I was like, I sold a shitload of copiers, but I have no idea how to do this stuff. <laughs> it's like, yeah. and so I was like, and that's why I was like, I at least know it. 
And like, so now like, obviously that was a long time ago, but like, my point is, is like knowing yourself, what business it is. And I think then everybody, the, the point is the business can suit your needs to your point. And so a couple of questions as we're wrapping up is like, what, what are you hoping out of the podcast? So I'm the one podcast, like mm. you just started it. And I'm assuming that you saw a bunch of people with podcasts. And I, I, I think a podcast is the best outlet for anybody, honestly, that's in entrepreneurship, but like, what, what are you hoping to get out of it? And what uh, led you to jump in? Yeah, well, first of all, hoping to get out of it, I don't really know. Uh, I'm kind of a move fast, quick start problem. But but to be honest with you, it wasn't my idea. It was a team's idea. I came back in May on a Friday, and I was like, where is everybody? And they were in the conference room like, hey, you're starting a podcast. Here's some <laughs> names we've come up with. Here's some themes we like. Basically, we want you to do more of the stuff you do in here, but just put it on the podcast. Cool. So that's kind of how it started that was the initial genesis and we talked about it once before or twice before but i'm like this will be fun it'll be a good practice i want to do things that i enjoy like this isn't work to me like talking to you about this stuff is super fun for me right mm -hmm. talking to people about health wealth it's funny i go to strategic coach in june uh was it june? yeah june at the june meeting i talked about how my i'd been doing all the research and i started cold plunging and i started doing the sauna at the september meeting i'm the cold plunge guy like everybody's coming up to me like, hey, what's your protocol? Like I, I bought a cold plunge since I saw you last. How long do you sit in the cold plunge? What do you do after that? Like, like I became that. Do you do the Wim Hof breathing like, in the cold plunge too? I, I do. I got a, I got this actual <laughs> thing now that makes it harder to breathe through while I'm in there. Like I love this stuff. I love the hacking and trying to find different things that work. And, and so I became that guy of like at that, in that small group of like, oh, th this guy's really pushing forward on this stuff. Right. So trying to figure it out. So I love talking about that. I love just trying to learn. And this goes back to the growth and learning. If I'm growth, growing and learning, I'm having fun. And cool. for me, it's going to take different directions. So, you know, love talking about my daughters, lessons I've had and things I've come up with in games for the kids, the bank of dad, things like that. Cause I'm a finance guy, you know, and then really focus on that. And I think it'll allow me, which already has like meeting people like you, you're a great person to meet that I wouldn't have met had I not right. started the podcast. And yeah, so I interviewed I another guy earlier, had a great conversation. So for me, it's it's putting more interesting people into my life and spending time doing what I really love to do. So for me, it's not work. It's just a lot of fun. Awesome, and then, and we'll, we'll see where it leads. Cool, man. Um, is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Mm, no, I think this is great, man. I, I love talking about this stuff. Uh, love to have more conversations. If I can ever help with anything, uh, please let me know. I love helping. And uh, happy people find any way I can. Uh, I'm the one.com is the easiest way to do it. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, DJ uh, Khaled had came out with a song called I'm the one. So that does hurt search engine optimization <laughs> a little bit a few years ago. Uh, but I'm the one with Rob Green. It's two B's. It's okay. Uh, but yeah, yeah, our Arcona dot Arcona is actually a Russian death metal female singer. So dot uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, IO was just available at the time. So it's all good, man. Rob, this yeah. has been a blast, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Pleasure talking to you. I hope you had some good takeaways from that conversation with Rob. I'd say the name of the game is building a good business and understanding why, which is why I think there's a couple things you can do right now is one is fill out the intentional growth starter kit. If you've not created an account, all you have to do is use the link in the show notes below where you jump in. I walk through what intentional growth is and why the target equity valuation of the company is really important. There's a video on each of the five principles, introducing all five of them. And then there's a case study on how to project out the value of the company. And I show using the financials how you can actually see the trade-offs between your distributions, your reinvestment, and your value gap.
Or if you're interested in a complimentary financial assessment by my team at Arcona, where we will plug in your numbers into our financial dashboard, my team will analyze them and we'll come back and you'll see a base case of your numbers in the dashboard with my team's thoughts and observations. All you have to do is just schedule a quick discovery call with me and my team using the link in the show notes below. And then I know you're going to be excited for next week where I have the co-founder of MapQuest on the show to talk about his journey as an entrepreneur and what he's been doing since MapQuest and his founding of the business.